my name is Jack Rico, and he's Mike Sargent. And he is brown, and I'm black. And this is the Brown and Black Podcast, a show about seeing race in media and entertainment through a brown and black lens. Mike, I've been hearing all these crazy stories about your computer, man. What's going on with it? Okay, first of all, I didn't really buy a new one. I just keep rebuying the same one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I, I bought, but I bought like the last version they made of this. Anybody that's a Mac person understands they don't make a 17 inch laptop anymore, but the last one they made. At this point, it's all about memory. But back then, the processors, they don't make processors much faster. And problem is the, the hard drive. I have a two terabyte, and this new one came with a 750. And though I transferred some stuff over, I, I really need to get a two terabyte. But here's my quandary. Do I get a two terabyte or do I get a four terabyte? But the four terabytes are so overpriced. But, you know... I'll never have to worry about space again. Is it an Apple? Let me just like ask you a quick question. Yes, is it Apple? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. They just hit two trillion. Are we just going to jump right into? <laughs> no, no, we, we shouldn't. Okay, we, right. we shouldn't. But but definitely, I mean, we'll, well talk about, about. Yeah, we'll talk about. Remind me about Apple because I got something to say. Because <laughs> I was an Apple evangelist at one point in time. But I'll be straight up honest with you. After Steve Jobs died, the company has never been the same. I, 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 I agree. like. I agree. I would never go to Windows, but Apple is just. I, I remember the time when Apple was, you know, it. Apple was the shit. Yeah. You bought it, it worked. That's it. No problems. This is long before Antenna Gate and all that other stupidity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what about you? What's going on with you, son? Um, well, you know, my birthday was this month. It was uh, last right. week. Uh, thank you for the birthday notes. By the way, you, you, you sound a year older. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to reveal how old I am. If you guys want to know, look it up. But I, I, I feel young. Mm. Um, actually, I'm in the best, I, I'm almost in the best shape of my life, man. Mm. You know, I've stopped eating junk. I've uh, converted over to a plant-based diet. A hybrid, I should actually say, because I've been kind of saying the wrong thing. I've been saying it's just a plant-based diet, but it's really a hybrid between protein and plant-based. So a lot more vegetables. So instead of eating beef, I'm eating like a plant-based beef and I'm eating plant-based pasta made out of beans, the chips I eat made out of quinoa. So, um, <clears throat> and I'm working out almost every other day. Quinoa chips, I see. <laughs> Quinoa chips. So I feel great, man. I feel young. I feel energetic. I feel like I haven't gotten depressed, which is something that I thought that was going to happen to me during the last four or five months. So I'm glad about that. So if you, if you were to ask me, so what did you do for your birthday? I ended up going to a gun range. Whoa. Yes, yes, yes. Now, wait, wait, where are my pics of Jack Rico with the gun? I'll That's send it. You know what? Uh, here, here, here's a quick soundbite clip. I ended up going to this gun range as a birthday present. And I walk in, dude. And honestly, as soon as I walked in, it just looked like, like, like Call of Duty, man. Like I was inside a video game. And I could not believe the state-of-the-art weaponry that was inside there. So you walk in, and there's nobody of color there. Every single person that was in there was white. 
And that kind of just tells you, it sends off a signal. Okay. Yeah, you're in a a Boots Riley movie. Then uh, I get up to the teller. And as I'm waiting for her to talk to me, I notice that on the sides, there's all these signs that say, Ladies night, shoot your gun, you know, here with us. And I'm like, what is going on? Dude, it was disturbing. It's a pastime. It's a national pastime, dude. Right. But remember, those guns can kill people, too. So for me, morally, I walked in there. And my morals didn't matter when I walked in there. And I had to adapt really quick. I was a bit surprised when I got there. I was like, what am I doing here? And I questioned it and I was very intimidated and it went against my morals. And, you know, my heart started pulsing a little faster. Um, And I said, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and, and do this and just go through the experience of what white Americans are fighting for so much. Why, what the NRA is all about and why they defend this more than anything is, and why our founding fathers made it the second damn amendment. So, get start talking to the teller and she's like, okay, so we got Glocks, we got Smith Wesson. I mean, she went through the whole thing and then we have our rifles. Do you have a, uh, a, a gun permit? And I said, no, I don't. He goes, well, you can't use the Glocks, you can't use the guns, the hand pistols. So only the only thing you can actually use are the rifles. There were some John Wayne rifles in there, man. They, they looked like they were museum pieces from like the Confederate. And then there was like the Call of Duty machine guns. And the ones that they ended up giving me were, was the AR model. So wait, hold on, hold on a second. You need a permit for a pistol. <clears throat> yeah, but you don't need a, need a permit, permit for a rifle. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. And I, I, I understand. And I don't know if it was an AR-15, but it was an AR, and maybe it's the only one. But the I heard that AR, those were kind of AR stands for automatic rifle. Yes, I didn't even know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, just I just kept sitting. So there it is. All, All right. right. So then. I said, well, that's the most state-of-the-art one. If I'm going to shoot a gun, I might as well shoot the most state-of-the-art gun. And then I ended up hearing that it was like banned at one point in Vietnam or something like that. So off I walked in. Oh, oh, and they said, all right, so now you have these targets that you can use. Massive dude walks in with me, older gentleman. I fought in Vietnam. Here's my tattoo from 1967. And he's hovering over me and, you know, super nice guy. I didn't feel any racial tension. I didn't feel any prejudice from white people. None of that was going on. It was just people who connected on guns. And this guy had a smile on his face. He was happy and he was taking me through it. I thought this thing was going to blow off my shoulder. And so I put it on my shoulder. The guy tells me, you know, how to put in the bullets I put the target, targets all the way out there. He goes, look through the view hole, and when you see the red laser light, that's the target, start shooting. So I start shooting. Boom, boom. First one. And I'm like, okay, didn't blow off my arm. That, that wasn't so bad. Then boom, boom. I, dude, I was all over the place with these bullets, man. I couldn't get it. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was nervous. I know that I could swing that rifle to the left and kill people. That's what my brain was going through. It was, this was not a pastime. This was a lethal weapon, a killing machine weapon. 
And what the hell am I doing with this weapon as a regular citizen for play, for fun? So I'm so contradicted while I'm doing this. But it's perfectly legal. So I said, I might as well go with it and, and have the experience so I could be able to talk about it. Dude, about seven minutes in, I go into my second magazine. And now I'm getting the hang of it. Now I'm desensitizing myself from the morality of what it could do. Now I'm starting to see this as a toy. Now I'm starting to think video games. Now I'm actually having fun shooting this thing and hitting the spots on the target. So I finally put down the gun, smells like smoke, you know, all over the place, pellets all over the floor, and I walk out, and here was what I thought when I walked out. In a matter of minutes, I became desensitized to shooting a gun, and the target at that point just seemed like a beginner stage type of thing, and then I said to myself, and that's me within seven, eight minutes. Imagine you're a child of someone who's a gun-toting American, who grew up with guns in their house, who for the past time since they were like 10, 12 years old have been shooting guns, that they go and become a cop, that then they go and become a soldier at war, then they come back home. Shooting a gun at that point is like drinking water. And at some point you want to actually elevate yourself from a target to something else, to hunting, maybe even to killing black people. It's a very interesting story and a very interesting experience. Uh, I have a lot to say about guns. I won't go well into it now, but, you know, I'm a boy, so I grew up, you know, loving guns and characters with guns and heroes with guns and guns and guns are cool and guns and women and sunglasses, you know, all of that stuff. Of course, as you get older, you have a different perspective on guns and, like you said, the morality. What really is interesting to me is I was watching on social media uh, a black female corrections officer was recounting an encounter she had with young white law officers, you know, very aggressive, didn't realize right away that she was a black woman when he pulled her over for nothing on the road because she has a short haircut. And then also didn't realize, of course, until he got close to see that she was on corrections. And then, of course, you know, had a lot of mixed reactions. But what she pointed out, and this, she goes on for about 13 minutes telling this story, but it's, it's worth watching. Because by the end, what she, she points out is something very real and human, and you touched upon it. You're just talking about what it is as, as just a guy, just a person, especially for boys who are grown up, whether it's video games or, or movies or whatever, to kind of enjoy guns. And if you get the chance, the opportunity to play with guns, of course, you love it. It's part of your life. It's, there's a lot of reasons why you would enjoy this killing toy. But if you are someone, you're a human and you get a job, let's not even get into your personality, but you get a job where you are not only carrying a gun, but you have the the ability to kill, 
literally with impunity. And she said that she had, of course, because she had her uniform, she had a gun in her glove compartment. But if she didn't have her shirt on, she said she was on her way to work. She might not have had a shirt on. She would have opened that glove compartment and, and she'd have been dead. And why? Because she talked about when you encounter the police in a stop and you question them. You know, or you don't listen to what they say, or you don't obey them. You don't, you don't let them dominate you like they try to do for whatever reasons, personality, racism, whatever. They get angry like any human and all their training goes out the door. And like you said, that desensitization, if you're desensitized towards human life, that's how George Floyd happened. So the Democratic National Convention started this week. It was sort of a little exciting. So I saw it. Eva Longoria was the host, which I was like, okay, they're making a statement already. And Eva Longoria, by the way, I've always said since I saw her in 2008, she should run for president. She should run for office of something. I mean, this woman is smart and she's she can rile you up, man. She can inspire you, man. She can... She can get your heart pumping, and um, she was so smooth and professional, and it's just great to see her within that context, and I felt like I was in good hands, and you know, part of the themes of this DNC was the unity of America as a whole, uh, the handing off the torch from the establishment to the progressives, and a lot of Republicans defecting. You know, and saying, I can't deal with this Republican Party. I'm going to go to the Democrats or I'm just going to vote for Joe Biden. So the keynote speech at the end was Michelle Obama. It was so funny because you and I had talked in the previous podcast about her low high quote that has become iconic. When they go low, we go high. But the problem with that quote back then, it was very inspirational and positive. But four years into the Trump administration and into the toxicity of what Trump is today and what most of America also is, high ground no longer works. Flash forward to the speech, Michelle Obama brings it up. I couldn't believe it. It's almost like she had heard the podcast and was answering to what I had said. Oh, she obviously listens to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, because I tagged her on Instagram, so who knows? I mean, I don't know, but the idea is... This must have been either something that she's been collectively hearing for a while. Right. I think she did say that, that she's been asked this. So then she actually goes and explains what it means today. Over the past four years, a lot of people have asked me, when others are going so low, does going high still really work? My answer, going high is the only thing that works. Because when we go low, when we use those same tactics of degrading and dehumanizing others, we just become part of the ugly noise that's drowning out everything else. We degrade ourselves. We degrade the very causes for which we fight. But let's be clear. Going high does not mean putting on a smile and saying nice things when confronted by viciousness and cruelty. Going high means taking the harder path. It means scraping and clawing our way to that mountaintop. Going high means standing fierce against hatred while remembering that we are one nation under God. And if we want to survive, 
We've got to find a way to live together and work together across our differences. And going high means unlocking the shackles of lies and mistrust with the only thing that can truly set us free, the cold hard truth. That is more of what I want that quote to mean. If you have, you have a daughter, what if somebody's punching your daughter to death? Shouldn't she defend herself as opposed to just take the damn high road? I 100% agree. And to me, the high road is not necessarily the pacifist approach. The highest road is to do the greatest good for the greatest number. That's the high road. So if I can silence one asshole or if I can kick in the balls one rapist or if I can take down one bad person, whatever it is I have to do, to me, the high road is, is how I'm living. So I'm, I'm with you and I'm with Michelle Obama. Well, it, it was just very interesting that that, that was kind of like explained, which I thought it needed to explain. Mm-hmm. Then I get an email uh, from a publicist about a movie called Stars and Strife. It's actually a documentary. And you and I had talked about hate in the last episode where I had, I had essentially you know, argued that a lot of what's going on here isn't really about the economy and healthcare and, and you know, policy debate. That this was really about a country that was starting to breed itself within hatred. And if unchecked, what kind of country are we eventually going to become? We're going to become Dante's Inferno. Absolutely. And there needs to be some good in the world to stop it. So let's listen to a little bit of, uh, uh, of Stars and Strife. Something's gone very wrong in the fabric of American society, which leaves people vulnerable to the appeal of the political hate industry. We've always had partisanship. We've never had this level of dysfunction. America beats the crap out of us, but we love our country. But both of our major political parties contains a lot of old people, and before people reach the stage of dementia, they often turn nasty. Are you stupid? All the damn time! We live in a zero-sum world. We are absolutely convinced that for one side to get ahead, the other side has got to lose. So essentially what this documentary is talking about is that as media, we have commodified hate. This is what we're selling. And that's the reason that that Ariana Picard, which we also spoke about the toxicity of TV news in the previous episode, she couldn't take it anymore and she quit. How did we become this country? How did that happen? And why do they allow it? Dude, you know, the the most powerful thing you said earlier to me that makes me really think, because I think it's well put, is the commodification of hate. And it is something, because we're a nation and a culture that is can commodify and market anything, the commodification of hate is really something, you know, that has seeped into everything about us. It is literally what the campaign and the DNC versus the RNC and, and the Democrats versus Republicans and the left versus the right and black and brown versus white. It's, it's what this country is now being built on. Can you think of another country where if you see someone wearing the colors or the flag of the country, the first thing you think is they're probably racist? I don't know any other country, but we hate a lot here. 
Well, one of the things that we were talking about earlier in the podcast, talking about going on your birthday to shoot a gun and what that whole experience was and, you know, what your perception of a gun is as a boy, especially as as a male in the society and your perception of of shooting. And so how do we really determine what's real? The only way we determine it is by, you know, what we experience or what we've been told, what we've been taught, or what we're literally told over and over and over again. What are you really buying into? You're you're buying into the concept or the perception of either productivity or fun or a need. If it's social media, you have to have TikTok now. If you're a certain age, you got to have TikTok. Do you not have a TikTok? What's your TikTok? Before that, it was, what's your Instagram? Before that, it was, what's your Facebook? Before that, it was, what's your MySpace? It's become the currency of our social lives. You mentioned the commodification of hate. If someone is perceived to be biased specifically, if they're racist or they're sexist or they did things that people have been doing for many, many years, now, if that perception gets out, that that viewpoint gets out, what was the perception of Ellen prior to two weeks ago, a month ago? It was a very different perception. Now, the perception of Ellen is forever changed. So just recently, the Justice Department, the, the, the Justice Department of the government essentially sued Yale because of discrimination against Asian Americans and white people. What the fuck, they, okay. man? The Attorney General, the Assistant Attorney General who's leading this is Eric Dryban, and he's, he's he's of the Civil Rights Division. He, of course, is a Trump appointee, and they really opposed him. This is a guy that claims he's for civil rights, but he used to defend tobacco companies and sometimes lost, but against discrimination, essentially. The whole notion that affirmative action is in some way shortchanging the white person, the white man. Affirmative action is being threatened with this. The conservative, there's conservative blacks that are down with this, that are supporting what he's doing. And they're supporting it because they feel, well, we should live in a racially blind society. And you know what? That's great. But they wouldn't have had to have a civil rights act if things were just and fair. To be fair to Asians, if they're finding that they're being discriminated against or they're qualified and they're not getting in because there's been a preponderance, let's just say, of this, okay, that can be looked at. You know, we shouldn't be discriminating against Asian Americans. But if you notice, it's not just about Asian Americans. It's about Asian Americans and white applicants. And to me, this smells just like what the suffragettes did. White women were fighting for the right to vote and did not care about the Negro until it became convenient for them to do so. Did you see that Susan B. Anthony oh, yes, now this I video? Did. Yes, I did. Wow. 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 Here, let's let's listen to a little bit of this because this kind of blew my mind. Susan B. Anthony doesn't deserve your I voted stickers. Hi, my name is Luria. Every election year, women cast their ballots and trek to Mount Hope Cemetery in Rochester, New York. They proudly place their I Voted stickers on the headstone of women's suffrage heroine, Susan B. Anthony. Susan B. Anthony famously asserted, I will cut off this right arm of mine before I will ever work or demand the ballot for the Negro and not the woman. Some people might argue that women such as Susan B. Anthony were just products of the times in which they lived that she didn't live in an era that welcomed progressive ideals and outspoken opposition. But that's bullshit. 
Compassion wasn't invented in the 21st century. Wow, man. I My mind has been blown by that Susan B. Anthony and by what the, the, the it's, it's like a real thing. The one positive thing that I could say that has come out of all of this with the DNC, you know, seeing Michelle Obama and seeing Jill Biden, who had such powerful speeches during the DNC, who are both non-politicians, says a lot about what's happening for women. Just the idea that we have women making all the moves that we're seeing right now. They're really driving the conversation. They are right really. Now, and I love that. Let me just say this. they Women are the future. There's, there's no doubt. They're the future of yep. box office. They're the future of politics in the country. They're the future. People like AOC, clearly that's the future. By the way, I wanted to ask you uh, quickly, what did you make of the news of Will Smith and Kevin Hart starring in the remake, the reboot of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? All right. First of all, to contextualize this, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a total guilty pleasure for me. I love that movie. I could watch it. If you mm. if you put it on right now, I would stop what I'm doing and watch it. Paramount Pictures presents Steve Martin, John Candy. Why are you holding my hand? Plane, Trains, and automobiles. I love the movie. I just love it. I, I just love it. I, I think it's hilarious. You can laugh and cry at that movie. I love it. One of the great classics of American cinema. What I love about the movie is its heart. I love the idea of the perception that Steve Martin's character has about John Candy and the perception that John Candy has about Steve Martin and then the perception they have about themselves and their lives is really what the movie's about. Now, a good comedy like that it could definitely be remade. What can be great? Now, I say this with a grain of large grain, let's say a pillar of salt, okay? What can be great about a premise that we've seen, like there, there are premises we've seen a lot, like a grown-up turns back into a kid. We've seen this premise a lot. I really, mm -hmm. I've enjoyed different iterations. I enjoyed Big. I also enjoyed 13 going on 30. Uh, that was a female perspective. I, I enjoyed that because it's a rich enough premise that if you if you put a different lens on it, you're telling the same premise, but of completely different story. Well, what I'm seeing is more of a trend, a pattern that's starting to emerge in Hollywood, which is bl the blackifying of white movies, where we're we're starting to see white stories uh, being redone from a black lens. Like this one, like Issa Rae is doing an Italian film that was called Perfect Strangers uh, about a dinner party with friends where they decide to kind of read all these messages that come in on their phones. And Watchmen, to a certain extent, uh, was also the same thing. And I like that idea, Mike. Science fiction for, for, for a long time was a white genre that's, you know, with Lovecraft Country that... You know, we don't have enough time to talk about it. We'll probably talk about it on the next episode, give a, like a full review on it. But we're starting to see these stories arise. You had talked like in The Honeymooners with a black cast. Is this something that you like to see? You want to see more of? Or do you want to see more original stories uh, of the black experience. Okay, it's a double-edged sword, okay? I don't think that this is a trend at all, actually. I think this has been going on a very long time. Back in, whatever, 2010, Chris Rock remade a French film called uh, Le Premier Etoile, and it was it was remake, and he called it I Think I Love My Wife. The idea of a foreign films being remade American, and then even American films being remade as, as a black film, it's been done. The real question comes down to, again, the premise. 
is there anything in the premise that that can be explored that's new? That's to me, that's good work. Or it could be a retread. Honeymooners, really bad. The last Kevin Hart film that he did with Brian Cranston that was a remake of a French film. Yeah, I actually heard that. I mean, the original I think was called Untouchables. Yes, it was called. Yes, it was called, and it was really good. It was really yeah. Good. The that, I mean, the, the Untouchables. If you haven't seen the Untouchables, the original French film. Excellent wow, film. what Excellent a mo- I mean, that should have been the best picture of the year that year. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really talk about the Latinx adaptation of classic films. You know, what if Plane, Trains, and Automobiles was done with a Latin cast? That's something that Hollywood still doesn't want to propagate. That's not the narrative that they want to do just yet. But we have seen examples of it one day at a time from Norman Lear. The Baker and the Beauty, which is something based off of an Israeli uh, show. Oh, by the way, now that I'm talking about that, did you hear that the Patriot Act, Patriot Act with uh, Hassan Minhaj got canceled by Netflix? Yes, I thought. And of that you. Netflix offered no comment on why. I heard. I listen, you know why. Why? Because I still don't know. I, I don't know. If I speculate, this would be wrong for me to speculate. But, but why? Well, this is our podcast. We can speculate yeah, all we yeah, want. That's the I whole mean, concept. Stuff like that only happens when something like somebody filed something really like damning. Oh. Something. So you think this is a lawsuit issue that happened? Only when something damning do they <gasps> to get rid of you like that. It could have been anything from sexual, uh, you know, discrimination. Right? No, 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 no. But but listen, if no one's going to offer comment officially, then what are we supposed to do? That that show to me when when he he tweeted it like right there and then as I was watching Twitter, and the, and I, I you know I, I I retweeted with a comment and I said what. At this time, you're going to cancel it when we need this show the most? Mm. To me, my speculation was more along the lines of, you know, Hassan essentially saying, listen, this is just a small little TV show I'm doing. I'm ready for movies. And this show's burning me out. And I I, I don't have the bandwidth. I just, I got two kids. I'm a parent. I'm a father. I'm a husband. And I want to make movies. And uh, to me, it was more along the lines, I've been offered four movie roles and I want to, I want to do them. Right. I want to become the is, new the new uh, is, Camille is that Nanjiani. Did he say that? No, this is my speculation. Oh. That this was the other version of well, dude, why he left if, the show. If that was why he left the show, I think he'd say that. All right, Mike. Well, next week we're going to be talking about Lovecraft Country. It's one of the most talked about TV shows in America right now that you can watch on HBO Max. I already saw episode one. Mike's going to catch up, watch that. Um, and then we'll talk about the importance and significance. And more than anything, Mike, it's the first time I've seen a science fiction horror black story something's taken off here, man, and I love it. It seems fresh, new, and I can't wait for your point of view, your sci-fi point of view on this. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about that, and I'm also looking forward to us talking to Kevin Wilmot for his new film, The 24th. Well, all of that is going to happen next week. In the meantime, that's it for this 13th episode of Brown and Black. Thank you for listening to our show. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe on any podcast platform and leave a review. Your help allows us to be heard by many more people. You can reach us on Twitter at Brown Black Pod, on Instagram at Brown Black Podcast, and on our new YouTube channel at Brown Black Podcast. See you next week for another episode of Brown and Black.
inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.